one ask farnoosh you're listening to so money with award-winning money guru farnoosh karabi each day get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds authors influencers and from farnoosh herself looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons sorry you're in the wrong place seeking profound ways to live a richer happier life welcome to so money Welcome to Ask Farnoosh, everyone. This is our chance to connect, to have you send in your questions, me try to read and respond to as many of them as possible. Lots of great questions coming in. One person's writing in and telling me that he's a little obsessed with investing and his family and friends are kind of getting annoyed by it. So what should he do? Oh my gosh, these questions are amazing. Okay, we're going to start now with, and by the way, before I start, I want to say, Todd, if you're listening, that's my brother, you are sorely missed. Although we are all envious of you, Todd is at the Super Bowl. As you're listening to this, it's February 1st. Todd is at the Super Bowl cheering for the Patriots. That's his team. We're from New England, so we are hoping that Brady brings it home. All right, everyone, let's get to our questions. We have many to get through, and I want to start with Kristen. She says, hey, Farnoosh, I'm 27. I'm working in a promising career in a big and expensive city. Let me take a guess. Is it New York? I'm happy to say that I'm on track with paying my student loans, but I'm worried about my savings. I'm currently contributing 6% to my 401k, for which I get a 50% match from my company, but I have almost nothing in emergency savings because there's not much left after student loans and living expenses. Would it be advisable to temporarily reduce my 401k to boost my emergency savings? Alrighty, Kristen. First of all, I want to say your company is awesome for offering this really remarkable match. You know, matching policies are becoming less and less common, unfortunately, especially ones as rich as this, giving you 50% match for up to 6% of your income. That's pretty remarkable. If you're able to invest enough to at least earn that match, stick with that. Try to get as much of that free money as possible. I understand that, of course, after student loans and paying for your retirement, it feels like there's nothing left and there may not be nothing anything left. Before, I would say slowing down your retirement contributions because I really like this idea of getting this match. It's free money. Before turning that down a notch, I would first examine your budget. You're living in an expensive city. Costs are high. I get it. I'm, I'm living it. Uh, but I would say try to find some wiggle room in your budget, whether it means um, eliminating some costs that you're not really into. I mean, sometimes we just take on these costs like like gym memberships and cable programs and things that you know we think add meaning to our life and our lifestyle but if we actually look at our behavior we're not really taking advantage of them so try to find maybe some leaks in your budget you know and and you may find that you've done everything you can and i totally get that too so rather than pulling a hundred percent out of your retirement to save money for a rainy day which is really important to do i would turn down the retirement investment a notch. So now maybe you're doing 6%, maybe go to 3% and take that 3% that you wouldn't be putting towards retirement and putting it towards your rainy day account and do this until you have about put away, put aside for your emergency savings. So don't abandon 401k. Try to first attack your budget, see where you can cut costs. Maybe it's a matter of uh, 
reducing rent somehow, moving, um, getting rid of some of those little costs that really do add up. And if you feel like there's nothing left to take out of your budget, then okay, I would say start to maybe pull back a little bit from your retirement. Don't abandon it altogether Put and put the rest towards your rainy day. Chris asks, my wife, friends, and family think I'm obsessed with money and investments. You sound like my kind of guy, Chris. I confess that I know that I have a perceived problem since my 18th birthday, in fact. I'm 51 now, but love to stay involved in investing, and it has paid off in huge numbers. Your show is a welcome daily dose to my issues. (laughs) Well, I'm glad I'm serving a purpose. How do I keep my excitement in check with my loved ones? Chris, you need to find new friends. And I I, I say this because, uh, well, you know, not everyone's going to be into what you're into. And if you're constantly talking about investing in this and, and shorting that and, you know, uh, if some people are going to tune out and they don't want to talk about that. It's imagine if you have a friend who's really into something that you're not and they just obsess about it and they always want to talk about it. It would be annoying to you too, right? So just share that for friends and a community that would appreciate it. And maybe it means finding a, a community where you know you can online maybe chat about these things, finding a friend at work who has similar interests. Uh, but reserve talking about things with your family and friends that are mutually um, enjoyable. And so, you know, not everyone's going to be into what you're into. And I totally get it. It can be frustrating. You want to be talking about investing all the time. I want to be talking about money all the time. I started a podcast. Maybe you should start a podcast. Hmm, Chris. Think about it. Instant way to relay your passion and love for this topic and maybe find your community. So uh, I would just say, you know, channel it somewhere else and give your family and friends a break. On Twitter, I have a couple of questions that I want to get to. Now, normally I like when people go on to somoneypodcast.com and submit their questions by clicking on Ask Farnoosh because then I can really it really filters well that way and I can see all the questions in one place. On Twitter, sometimes I might miss your questions, but I happen to find a couple on Twitter. And Laura tweets, Farnoosh, what is better, putting some money away while slowly paying off student loans or putting savings on hold and paying loans in full force? Well, uh, I assume, so we're talking about student loans here. I would not not pay my student loans and save. Uh, You know, you have to keep up with those student loans. And unlike a credit card where paying just the minimum is really bad and can keep you in debt for a lot longer and you're going to pay a lot of interest over over the long haul, student loans are different. Student loans have a term. It's usually 10 years and your payments are... Uh, enough where you can be out of debt within 10 years if you stick to the plan. So paying just that minimum every month is okay. What's bad is if you don't pay those monthly payments. Try to make that payment every single month. Then with what's left over, cushion your savings account, pad your savings account, uh, and try to do this hybrid approach. I don't like this idea of one or the other, although uh, I would say, you know, be attentive to your student loans. Neglecting your student loans can be cataclysmic. It's not uncommon where you hear about people defaulting on their loans, and then what happens? Their wages get garnished. Uh, their tax returns get garnished. They, um, uh, you know, this is we're talking federal loans. Uh, the interest rate jumps. The fees are exorbitant. So it becomes this, you know, just this nightmare essentially. And so you don't want to neglect your student loans. Stick with the minimum at least, and then the rest 
use to pad your savings account. Once you've got about six months saved, maybe more, then and you have some money left over and you're like, what do I do with this money? Of course, put that towards the principal on the student loan. Also on Twitter, I've got a question. Um, I don't know how to pronounce your name, but your handle is uh, Fanatic. Okay, hi. Uh, this person says, I'm 32 with no retirement savings. Should I prioritize debt repayment over retirement? Well, um, I suspect that uh, you haven't been saving for retirement because you've had this debt. So I would do this. I would give yourself six months to really hone down and wipe out that debt, at least 50% of that debt. I don't know how much debt you have. I mean, I could be totally out of bounds here and you've got you know six figures in debt or five figures in debt, and that's a lot, and that's probably not going to be tackled in six months. But I would say that once and for all in your life, you need to start addressing this debt. And maybe it means getting help from a credit counselor. You've had a lot of your adult life now to be able to participate in a retirement account, and you haven't. So I'm wondering if this debt has been burdening you for the past 10 years or more. And if it's something that you just can't get out of, that keeps haunting you, that continues to be this vicious cycle, then you need to really address this seriously. And sometimes you can't go it alone. So... I would like for you to one day be aggressive with your retirement account, and I wish you had been for the last 10 years. But debt is also something ugly and nasty, and we need to deal with this ASAP. So go to a credit counseling agency, and then there's a couple that I recommend. One is the National Foundation for Credit Counseling, nfcc.org. They will help you look at your budget, look at your debt obligations, try to find a plan for you to get out of debt, not quickly, not overnight. This isn't a you know get out of debt quick scam. This is a consistent approach to knocking down your debt. It may take three years. It may take five years, but it is a plan, and you're going to follow this plan, and you're going to get out of this plan with some help. The other resource is Money Management International, similar to National Foundation for Credit Counseling. You know, um, the first meetings are always free, so look around, do your research, have the meetings, and get on a plan. Another resource online that's great is readyforzero.com. This is a site where people go to who have debt, who want a community to help them, uh, to support them to get out of debt. Again, you can't do this alone sometimes. So what I hear from you is that this debt has been taking over your life for a long time, and you have all these other priorities and all these other goals you want to hit, all these other financial goals, but the debt is a roadblock. So Dedicate 2015 to becoming debt-free, and then once you're debt-free, pretend the debt is still there, and whatever payments you were putting towards debt, put towards retirement or put towards other savings. And keep us posted. How I want to know how your progress is going. Sammy says, hey, Farnoosh, was just wondering, what's the best way to stay motivated to cut expenses like eating out during the lunch hour? I normally spend 10 bucks on lunch five days a week and I need to stop that habit. How can I stay motivated? $10 on lunch five days a week. That's $50 a week. That's uh, $200 a month. That's you know thousands of dollars a year. So how do you stay motivated? Well, I get it. You know, we're at work and lunch comes around and all we want to do is get out of the freaking office, right? We just want to like get some fresh air, maybe get someone to prepare us a nice baguette sandwich or a beautiful salad. We just want to have that, you know, moment of 
just relaxation and peace of mind and luxuries. I mean, these days there aren't a lot of luxuries we can afford, but if we can get a kind of, if we can afford time away from the office and a nice salad, that's like a little vacation. And so um, I would say take baby steps. You know, it's it's not practical to say from here on out, I'm going to pack a lunch every single day. I'm going to tell you, you're going to be able to do that for like three days and you're going to get sick and tired of it and you're going to break the habit. So commit to maybe half the week or two days of the week bringing your lunch at first to save a little bit. You know, that's still $20 a week, $30 a week that you're saving until gradually maybe you get the hang of it and you enjoy it and you find the benefits and you like the savings and you start to do it more and more and more. And I would also say is find a buddy at work. I am sure that the person sitting next to you at work is also frustrated with spending so much money on lunch. So the two of you get together, become accountability partners. And when you bring your lunch to work, maybe you do still leave the office because I think that's part of the of what we like doing is like getting out of that environment. And then once we're out of that environment, we end up buying stuff. Like we buy lunch, we buy the sandwich, buy the sides, buy the drinks. So bring your lunch and then maybe when you're out, you get a coffee instead of a meal or you get a side instead of the whole meal. So maybe you'll spend a few dollars but not $10. And still that is saving money. And here's the thing you have to do. You have to actually save that money. You know, it's not just theoretical. you got to actually calculate at the end of the week you know, I didn't go out for lunch three days this week, so that's 30 bucks. I want you to actually take that $30 and put it into its own savings account because here's what needs to happen. You have to actually see the progress in order for you to feel motivated. That's got to happen. That's the missing piece of the puzzle sometimes. As we promise to save, we do end up actually taking on these savings behaviors, but we don't actually allow ourselves the benefit to see the results, to actually take advantage of the savings. So get an accountability partner, take baby steps, and actually allocate the money towards an account every week so that you can enjoy the the habits and the progress. What else we got? All right, so Jordan says, I am wondering about the process behind your podcast. How do you come up with ideas for guests? How far in advance did you or do you have to plan to get guests on the show? And what has been one of the biggest challenges? Also, what is one of your short-term, long-term goals for the show? Thank you and excellent work. My financial life has improved already. Well, that just made my day. Thanks so much, Jordan. And I really appreciate your question about the show. It's something that I kind of came up with the idea last fall after meeting a lot of different podcasters through publishing my book. I was on a bunch of podcasts last year. And then I went to FinCon 2014, which is this annual expo conference for financial bloggers and many of the people in the financial blogging community have podcasts and so I was around a lot of inspiring people and I thought hmm maybe this is something that I should tackle that I should try to you know do because for me after having a baby I really wanted to find a way to continue to give tremendous value to you guys to my community how could I continue to put my stuff out there in a valuable meaningful way that was consistent And here's the thing, that wouldn't necessarily make my life crazy. I mean, I'm already crazed as it is as a mom now, and I'm, I'm taking on a lot of projects. And I wanted to be able to find a new way to provide value to my community that wasn't going to necessarily take time away from my life as a mom and a wife and, you know, just Farnoosh, my personal life. 
And so podcasting for me was very synergistic. And uh, how do I come up with ideas for guests? Well, I have found a method to this madness because doing a daily podcast, everyone says, how the heck do you do this? <laughs> and I t- I'll be honest, it's, it's, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of daily maintenance. But what really helps is having some things extremely structured. So on Mondays is when I do all my interviews. And of course, I'm willing to work around my guests' schedules, but on a case-by-case basis. Generally speaking, I have a booking calendar that automatically allows me to get guests to book their time slot on a Monday, and boom, it's done. So Mondays I reserve for doing the interviews. What do I ask them? If you listen to the podcast, a lot of the questions are the same. I have a format. A lot of podcasts are not formatted. They just kind of you know, talk about whatever, and they go all over the place, and they bounce around. And I think I could do that if it was a weekly podcast, but coming up with new questions for new guests every single day, this would have to be my full-time job. And I'm not ready to make it yet my full-time job. So to make my life easier, and also I think it adds, it helps to have a consistent format for listeners. You kind of know what to expect. Uh, and sometimes, of course, we go off script. We go off script a lot, but I like to have you know my seven, eight questions, my go-tos. And so I, I format it. And so that's how I keep sane, frankly, with all the work that is, you know, involved in putting together a daily podcast. Um, The biggest challenge, the biggest challenge, I think, is getting ahead. You know, right now I've got a lot of interviews in the can, so I feel good about uh, that. I feel good that I have content to, to, to put out for the next month, but it's getting all that content squared away and edited and all the bells and whistles, I want to feel like, I want to get to a place where I feel like I'm a month ahead entirely, where I've got everything lined up, scheduled, and I'm not there yet, but I'm working on it. And I feel like, you know, that's something that uh, would make my life a lot easier. And it's a big challenge. And uh, what is one of your short-term, long-term goals for this? So so short-term, my goal is to, it's really just to connect daily with my audience and to hear more from you. I love your question. I love this. I love this part of the podcast where I get to answer your questions. I want to be able to connect better with my audience. And I already feel like I'm doing that. And then a long-term goal would be to monetize the podcast. Frankly, you know, I, I love doing this, but in order to really make it viable in the long run, I need to be able to monetize it. So I'm looking to I'm looking for ways to turn this podcast into a revenue stream. And there are ways to do it, and I'm excited about the possibilities. But right now, I'm really just focused on doing the best I can with the podcast and tweaking it along the way, responding to listeners' requests. Um, You know, it's not perfect. The audio sometimes is really bad. Um, I, uh, you know, sometimes don't ask the best questions. I should probably ask different questions. So... That part is a work in the pro- is a work in progress, and hopefully in the short term I'll get it perfected with your help. I need your feedback. So thanks for that question, Jordan. And if you want to start a podcast, get in touch. I can help you some more. Drawn asks, I am going to start my first job at the age of thirty one. First job at the age of thirty one in five months. My salary would be two hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year. I need to support my wife's graduate school. And my old mother, can you give me the most thoughtful way to make the best use of my money? All right, John, I'm going to tell you this. And if you're wondering how this person is only starting his first job at 31, my guess is you were in medical school or maybe you continued, you were just in various 
programs, academic programs. Maybe you went to law school. I mean, I have a friend who just got a job and she's 30, 31, and it's because she got her PhD and then she went to law school. So it happens. Now, I hope you don't have a lot of debt, but making $250,000 a year, it's a lot you can do with that money. But it also sounds like you have some uh, some goals here. You want to help your wife get through school and you want to help your mother. What I would say is make an appointment with a few financial planners to talk about getting your bases covered and how to plan for your future so that you can live your life comfortably today. And there are a number of resources out there for finding a financial planner that uh, you should check out. One is napfa.org. That is the National Association of Personal Financial Advisors. What you want to do is go in there, look for some advisors within your zip code, make appointments. I would say have about five interviews with different advisors. The one that's ultimately going to be the best fit for you is really someone that you connect with, not just on a kind of professional level, but that you like, that you like talking to, you feel comfortable talking to, you feel like you can trust this person, you feel like they have your best interest. Um, find a fiduciary that's going to help you manage this money appropriately, taking into consideration what you just said, that you want to help your mom out and you want to be able to afford graduate school. I think with making a quarter of a million dollars a year, you should be able to do it. It sounds like you're being very thoughtful already with knowing what your priorities are. We talk about that on the show a lot. You know, Money is meaningless unless you attach it to specific goals. And you've already identified two big ones. So let that steer your ship. With the money that's coming in from your salary, you know now automatically there needs to be a funnel for those two goals. And so for me, this is what I do. I mean, I, I have goals. I have, and so I have retirement. I have college savings for my son. I've got my needs, like you know, my mortgage and so on and so forth. So my money gets allocated first and foremost to those things, to those goals and to those needs that I have to pay for every month. And then with whatever's left, I can just spend how I want and not have to worry because my bases are covered. And that, for me, is being thoughtful. So that's a really good question. But I think having, now that you're making a lot of money uh, and probably more in the future, you want to get the help of a professional to not only manage your money, but also perhaps look into things like life insurance and your estate planning and your will and et cetera, et cetera. And that's a wrap. Thanks so much, everyone, for your questions. As a reminder, to ask me a question, hop on to SoMoneyPodcast.com. Click on Ask Farnoosh. And remember, you don't just have to ask me about money. I've got a lot of opinions. Career, life, family, the podcast, the guests. Uh, So keep them coming. This is my favorite part of the week where I get to interact with you. And I hope to see you back here on So Money tomorrow. And in the meantime, I hope your day is so money. So money.